Well, welcome everybody. Glad everybody that was here came out. And anybody have any clue as to what the theme of the day is? And I, I, I couldn't predict what was going to happen in the Lord's Supper, but the theme was there as I walked in this morning. I thought, wow, praise the Lord. Any idea what the theme was? What's the words that are just ringing in your ears right now? Grace, grace, God's grace. And then earlier we sang, I'll hail the power. It says, um, hail him who saves you by his grace. And this morning we sang, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found and bl was blind, but now I see. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And you're going to see that this theme comes up early in this chapter yet again. Last week, um, Luke spoke on 2 Corinthians 5, where we learned that we are ambassadors for Christ. And the idea that Paul is getting across there is that, that we are part of a kingdom and that kingdom has a king. His name is Jesus Christ. And as ambassadors of a kingdom go out into other countries and other places, they represent the king. And what they say is what the king would say. How they live is how the king would live. What they do is what the king would do. We are ambassadors for Christ. And our message is Christ's message. And we live in a world that is at war with Jesus Christ, or at war with God. Jesus Christ is the rightful king. But most people on earth have never bowed the knee to him. And we are sent out into the world as ambassadors representing Jesus Christ. And our goal is to appeal to men and women to be reconciled to God. You're not right with God. You're living in alienation from him. You're living at war with God. That's, that's the situation in the world. And we are to go out and appeal to men and women and say, be reconciled to God. You're alienated. You're at war with him. Be at peace with him. And so that is the message that we, that we bring. And God offers terms of peace to those who are at war. Now, when the United States has been at war in the past and they want to bring the war to an end, they offer terms of peace. And usually the terms of peace go something like this. We are right, you are wrong. We have won, you have not. You are now going to subject yourself to normal living and stop the war. Put down your arms. Well, I mean, God is offering terms of peace to us as well. And he's basically saying, no longer be enemies of mine, but instead trust in me as Lord and Savior, and I will give you peace. Not as the world gives, but I give you peace that passes all understanding. And he is offering to us terms of peace, and his terms of peace are grace. What is grace? God's grace is undeserved favor. So if you had an enemy 
if you have somebody who's against you personally or you're at war with another country and you say, Here's, here are the terms of peace. You have wronged me, but I will forgive you. And in my forgiveness, I will make you part of the family. And I will bless you in a way that you've never been blessed before. And this blessing will continue not only for time, but for all eternity. That is the blessing. That is God's grace to us. He is offering us terms of peace. And those terms of peace are on the basis of grace. We can't earn peace with God. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We simply accept his terms. And his terms are fabulous. And he's saying, here, take my grace. Take my forgiveness for your sins. Take it. I give it to you freely. That's God's grace, his undeserved favor to us. His offer is of full forgiveness. There is not a sin you have committed in your life that he will not forgive. Every sin you have committed, he will forgive. And he's offering full forgiveness. And he's offering reconciliation, which means that you are no longer alienated from God, but you are made right with God. You, did not, you were not born uh, with a relationship with God, but he's going to give you a relationship with him, with God as our father, and we are his family, his children. And all of the blessings that he gives to his children are ours because of Jesus Christ. That's quite a reconciliation. His message requires complete surrender to him. And in surrendering to him, he makes all of his new citizens his children and offers them eternal blessings. But the offer is a time-sensitive offer. And here in the passage, we're going to see this, where it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So God's offer exists here and now. I can't promise you it will be here and now tomorrow. But it is today. Today is the day of salvation. And that's our message. And that was Paul's message. But Paul was under attack, and there were some who came into Corinth and were attacking both the message that he taught as well as the messenger, Paul himself. And so Paul answers both accusations in this chapter. And so what we're going to look at, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and this passage is broken down into two main sections. The first is the ambassador's message. And then the second part is the ambassador's ministry. So let's read the first two verses, which has to do with the ambassador's message. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So not only are we called ambassadors in the last chapter, here in this chapter we are called um, workers together with him. And we work together with God. God's desire is to bring this message of grace to the entire world. 
And so as we work together with him, that is our goal and our purpose as well in living, to bring the message of grace to all mankind. And here's how it works. You remember the Lord Jesus told a parable, and it's often called the parable of the sower and the seed. And so here's a farmer, and the farmer has a, has a bag of seeds wrapped around his waist, and he goes out into his field, and he reaches into the, ba the bag to, to collect seeds in his hand, and he scatters the seeds. It's called broadcasting. And he, and he scatters the seeds as he walks around his field. But as he walks around his field and he's scattering these seeds all over, there's a path like this path here. And it's a walking path. The rest of the soil has been turned over, but the walking path is not. And as he scatters the seed, some of the seed falls on hard soil. But he keeps going and he scatters more seed. And some of it falls on soil that has rocks underneath it. And then he scatters it some more and some of it grows in an area where he doesn't see it, but there's actually other seeds, there's weeds, seeds that are already in the soil. And he scatters more and he scatters more and some of it falls on good soil uh, where it will ultimately grow and produce fruit. So Je this is what Jesus said. A sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus later in the passage interprets the meaning of the parable. And he tells us this, the seed is the word of God. And so the, the one who's sowing, the farmer, has to represent either God himself sowing the seed or those who are workers with him. That's us, working with him, sowing the seed of grace, of the gospel. And the farmer, uh, or the Christian spreading the gospel, the good news of the grace of God, um, He's sowing it out on the field, the world. And the type of soil represents four different types of people. This is what Jesus said. Those by the wayside or on the, on the uh, path are the ones who hear the message of salvation, how they can be saved, how they can be made right with God, how they can have a personal relationship with God. And they hear it but quickly the devil comes and he snatches the seed of the word of God from their hearts and he takes it out of their hearts lest they believe and be saved. So there's an enemy. Satan is an enemy. And he is trying his hardest to keep people from hearing the word of God and being saved. It says, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, they receive the word with joy and these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. And so there's a group of people, when you, when you uh, share with them the good news of salvation, they go, oh yeah, that's exactly what I've been looking for. I need to be saved. I need to have my sins forgiven. I need to be cleansed. I need to be right with God. And as soon as the sun comes up, as soon as a trial comes their way and the heat of the sun or the heat of the trial comes into their lives, Underneath that 
thin, thin layer of veneer of soil, there's a rock and the roots can't go down and it can't take hold. And so as the plant springs up, it withers and dies, meaning that they never were saved in the first place. That's the second group of people that you can share the gospel with. It seems like they're making a profession. It seems like truly they're saved, but they're not. The third, uh, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Have you ever seen somebody like that? They made a profession of faith. They heard the word of God. It seems like they truly are saved and the roots seem to go down. They seem to, to be growing in their faith with God. And yet things come into their life. Cares, care about their family, care about their health, care about you know, their work, care about their job, care about this, care about that. All these things distract them from really growing and really knowing the Lord. So it's cares of life he talks about here. Um, pleasures of life, riches. They say, well, you know what? I, I, I can't really read the Bible. I can't really study the Bible. I can't really grow in my Christian life because I've got to make money. It's tough to live in the Bay Area. It's hard, it's expensive. And so I gotta go out and make money, make money, make money, make money. And their whole life, 40 years goes by, they retire, and, and what do they have to show for it? Their life is empty. Riches and pleasures of life. You know, I'm going to pursue this and that and the other thing that just pleases me. And it chokes out the life. And we learn ultimately in the end that they truly were never saved either. And so there's three of the four that we've looked at so far, and none of them are truly saved. And the fourth one is the one or the person that uh, the seed falls on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience. The message that went out is the same for all four groups. The message never changes. It's the truth. But the response in the heart of people is what makes the difference. And some Hear, the, hear about the grace of God, that God is showing his undeserved favor. And it appeals to them that God shows undeserved favor. But all these other things get in the way of them truly being saved. And there's only one group among the four that, that have come to know the Lord and truly are saved. And they grow. And there's fruit that shows from it. The message is the same. What is the message? It's simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He paid your sin penalty. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day to justify you. And if you believe that message that, God, that Jesus Christ died for you, paid for your sins in full, and that you can receive forgiveness from him, you'll be saved. And so as we look at this scripture, go back to what we read in, in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? If God is offering free salvation to a person and it is undeserved favor that he's uh, offering to you, the wayside person received the grace of God in vain. The rocky soil person received the grace of God in vain. 
The thorny soil person received the grace of God in vain, but the good ground person received the grace of God and bore fruit. Now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. The message of the grace of God was often under attack, is still under attack. And it was under attack from day one, as soon as this message went out. Uh, and it's still under attack today. The attack is most clearly seen, I think, in the book of Galatians. There was a group of um, people called the Judaizers who came into the church at Galatia. And they began to teach that faith in Jesus Christ is good, and we're glad that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but it's not good enough. That's what their message was. It's good that you believe in Jesus, that you have trusted it, that you have faith in him, but faith is not enough. You also have to have works. And so they had a mixture where the Bible clearly teaches that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, period, not of works. They said, no, 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 it's faith plus works. And any church that teaches that you can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ and you have to do these works to also be right with God is teaching a false gospel. It is not true. It is undermining the gospel. And Paul saw this early on in Galatians and he said this to the church of Galatia, Galatia I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. In other words, he's saying the gospel, the, the, the word gospel means good news. And he says, you've turned from the gospel of grace, which is good news, to something that is not good news. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. Paul pleads with the Corinthians here the same way. He's saying, I plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And the moment a person says, I have faith in Jesus Christ, but I have to do, he, he's done 90% or even 99% of the work, but I have to do my 1% in order to earn favor with God. Paul says, let him be accursed. In other words, you cannot be saved that way. There is no way you can be saved and in a right relationship with God if you are trying to earn in any part your salvation. Because Jesus Christ said from the cross, it is finished. And that's exactly what he meant. He did all the work. It's 100% done by him. We add nothing to it. And the moment we think we can, it's not salvation. It's payment for our sin. He's already paid it all. And so Paul is pleading with the Corinthians, do not, do not, do not receive the grace of God in vain. So now Paul shifts gear. He's been speaking about the message. As ambassadors, that's our message. As workers together with God, that's our message. Now he speaks of 
the messenger, the ambassador's ministry. Um, so he says this in, in verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, as I mentioned to you, Paul's ministry was under attack. Um, not only was, was the message under attack, but he personally was being attacked. Um, and the underlying argument is this, Paul is not qualified. What are his credentials? By what authority does he preach? He's not one of the original disciples. Where is his commendation? Who has approved him? Where is his five-star rating? I had a, a plumber come out to my um, house this week to install a dishwasher. I've used, uh, his name is Jason, and I've used Jason for years and years. He's actually the best plumber I have ever in my entire history met. He is fabulous at what he does. And he's kind of a perfectionist. And, and uh, I, I just can trust him with whatever plumbing job I have because he is excellent at it. Now, Jason has worked for a number of companies, including himself, um, but he's worked for a company. In fact, he did some of the plumbing here at the chapel uh, when we were under construction, some of it, the good stuff. Um, he, he's done work up at uh, the Nolan Park Zoo, I mean, major commercial sites. He's worked up at Eden Hospital, major commercial sites, doing uh, some of the plumbing work on those places. I was talking to him and, uh, the, when he was over this week, and, and I said, so how are things going? He says, well, I'm looking to, um, uh, you know, being self-employed, he says, I, I have no benefits ultimately down uh, for, my, for my future, and he says, I'm looking to go and apply at a company where I can work as a plumber in the company. And I said, so are you having success? He says, no. I said, why not? He says, well, I have a GED. He said, I don't even have a high school diploma. I said, so what difference does that make? He said, because, he said, the people who sit in the HR offices want to look at what my education is. And he says, they want, as a bare minimum, a high school education. And he says, the GED doesn't count. He said, they literally want me to have a high school diploma. And I said, so you can't be a plumber because you don't have a high school diploma, and yet you have... 25 years of experience, even on commercial sites and residential and everything else. And I said, you're probably the best plumber I've ever met in my life. He said, that's right, because the HR department says I'm not qualified. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not qualified. And he says, these guys sit in an office, they look at paper, and he says, they don't realize that, look at my history, look at what I have done. Look at who I am. And Paul is essentially responding the same way in this passage. The accusations are, you're not qualified, Paul. Where's your credential? Where's your PhD? Where, where's your education? What, what do you have to show for yourself? And Paul says, look at my history. Look at my work record. Look at what I have done for Jesus Christ. Look at how I have suffered for the gospel message. Look at my personal character and look at the things that have taken place and answer the question, am I qualified? And so that's really what we have in the rest of the passage here in 2 Corinthians 6. So I'm going to um, say a couple things and then we'll read the passage. Um, anyone knows in ministry that if our adversaries cannot condemn our message, they will attack the messenger. And it's called an ad hominem 
argument. Ad hominem is Latin for to the man or to the person. And in this case, Paul's enemies had resorted to a strategy of attacking the character and the motive and the attributes of Paul to undermine the message. And we find Paul answering his attackers in verses 3 through 10. And so what qualifies Paul to be an ambassador for Christ? What qualifies him to serve the Lord? And what qualifies you And what qualifies me to serve the Lord? Do we need a college degree to serve? Do we need an ecclesiastical title to serve the Lord? Do we need a doctorate of divinity or a PhD in service? On that basis alone, if if a man or a woman needs those qualifications, then even Jesus Christ himself would not qualify. And certainly his disciples would not either. What makes a person able to serve? The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in that person, and he gives gifts to that person to serve in the church. A teacher teaches, and those who hear grow. An evangelist evangelizes, and those who hear believe. A servant serves, and burdens are lifted. There's a phrase that goes like this, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And it means that, the question is, does the pudding taste good? Well, you'll never know until you taste it. Does the pudding taste good? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know that the pudding is good when you eat it. And you know that a man or a woman is qualified to serve the Lord by the fruit in their lives. And Paul is about to give us a list of Uh, three nines here. I'll talk about that in a second too. All right. Chapter 6, verse 3 says, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. And this is sort of his overarching principle in ministry. Paul says it another way in Acts 24, 16. He says, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, or as ministers, servants of Jesus Christ, we should always strive to have a a conscience void of offense toward God and men. Our lives should be exemplary. We don't purposely offend people, and there should be nothing in our lives that people can point to and say, he is such a hypocrite. She is such a hypocrite. I will stay away from Jesus because his followers are such hypocrites. And so Paul, in verses 4 through 10, speaks of a list of ways he is qualified to serve the Lord. So I'm going to read the list. And I want you to pay attention to the list. We're going to break it down into three sections. Each section has nine um, statements in it. He says in verse 4, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. So in the New King James Bible, in much patience is actually part of the list. But I don't think it actually belongs as part of the list. I think what he is really saying here um, is that that the patience here is endurance. He has endured all of the following things. 
And so the list begins, I believe, with um, in tribulations. So let's count them. In tribulations, one. In needs, two. In distresses, three. In stripes, four. In imprisonments, five. In tumults, six. In labors, seven. In sleeplessness, eight. And in fastings, nine. Those are the things that he has endured in his service for the Lord. And so we could title that, under the ambassador's ministry, Paul's physical sufferings. Next in the list is Paul's personal qualities. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And the third set of grouping, or the third grouping of nine is what we see in verses eight through 10. And we will call this Paul's ministry of paradoxes. He says that he has served the Lord by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And so that is the list. And so I could for the next 20 minutes or so go through each word and give you a definition of the word and tell you what the word means and how it applies to our lives. But instead, we're going to do something completely different. And we're going to break into three groups. And so, Howard, I'm going to ask you to lead one group. And Matt, you can lead a second group. And then uh, I'll lead the third group. And what we'll do is we're going to look at these three sections. And so, um, Howard, I'll give you the physical sufferings um, of verses uh, 4 and 5. And Matt, of verses 6 and 7, Paul's personal qualities. And then I'll take the ministry of paradoxes. Okay, so here's what we want you to do. I'm going to hand out a piece of paper, and I want each of you to join one of the groups and try to make them sort of even. And I want you to think, in the first group, we're talking about physical sufferings. And I want you to think of each of these words, and I'm, the, the words are listed on a piece of paper, so don't worry about it. And look at each of the words, and then think of where or how Paul suffered these things. And at the end, um, you can give us kind of a quick report. In Matt's group, we're going to look at the personal qualities. Uh, there's nine personal qualities. And the interesting thing is, it's going to be harder to find where you will see those personal qualities. But instead, what you'll find is Paul teaching on those personal qualities. So Paul will actually teach believers that they should live these ways and it, it goes without saying that if he's teaching this he's living this way and then our group is going to look at the paradoxes and we're going to try to see where these paradoxes took place in his life and so we're going to give you about oh let's say 15 minutes um, to work through this list and you guys can discuss it together and then we'll have a quick 
two-minute report at the end of each of these things, and then we'll sing a song in closing. So I know it's completely different than anything you've ever done before, but that's how we're going to uh, finish up this passage, okay?